0: everybody, Kel Weinhold from The Professor is In. Welcome to the new version of our podcast. We are recording our podcast live on Wednesday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you're subscribed to The Professor is In newsletter to be sure and get that link if you'd like to join us live. Or you can listen to the edited version in the podcast form the following Tuesday. If you'd like to support the live or the podcast, you can head over to bit.ly slash OurPod v-i-t dot l-y slash o-u-r-p-o-d and help support these ongoing programs. Thanks a lot. We look forward to hearing from you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Professor is In. You have two opportunities to hang out with us. You can join us on Wednesdays at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific at bit.ly slash tpii live. That's the link to the Zoom link that brings you right into a webinar where you get to interact with us, ask us questions, all of that. Or you can listen to the recording, the very cleaned up recording on Tuesdays when the podcast, the following Tuesday, when the podcast is uploaded if you want to support any of those activities both with your presence we love that and um also welcome you to be a subscribing member and that can happen at bit.ly slash o-u-r-p-o-d and it's 3.99 a month and you get to um hang out with us in a social media private social media page and ask us all kinds of questions so there we go and i am joined by i am dr karen kelsky of the professor
1: is in and increasingly the professor is out and I'm so delighted that you're
0: here today. So we had an idea from our phenomenal editor, Stephanie Blair, who is, first of all, she's just amazing. And second of all, she, she makes us sound so good, but she also has great ideas. So she's not just an editor in the sense of like, here, let me make you not sound like you don't know what you're talking about, but instead hey, here's a way that you can think about the way that you do what you do. And one of the things that's uh, really valuable about her is that she's not an academic. And, but she sees over and over and over again, how the things we talk about relate to her life and what's going on with her. And she, when I was talking to her the other day, she said, what if you guys, instead of starting in academia and going out, went out somewhere else and came back in? And that led to Karen and I having a conversation about that. But then I had a conversation on one of my group meetings today where we were talking about how gardening, what gardening can teach us about academia. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what gardening can teach us about academia. And before you all stop listening, you don't have to be a gardener to appreciate this. Okay. So just I'm not
1: really a gardener. (laughs) I have gardened. Yeah, I don't know. And by the way, I want to reiterate the thing that I know that we ended up talking about two weeks ago in terms of comments and so on. But we do not share your names in any form in terms of answering your questions or anything. I mean, we have in the past, but now I, we have stopped doing that because we understand that it, you'll be in the recording, that this will all be in the recording. And so we don't use anything that wouldn't be appropriate. So um, don't feel worried about um, being identified uh, in the future recording that we're making of this. Feel free to, um, to share.
0: What's your impression of gardening, Karen?
1: Well, I use gardening as a metaphor myself all the time, mm-hmm. but not mm-hmm. for academia. I use it as a, me- and this sounds really scripted, but I swear it wasn't. I use it for, fi- for skincare. In fact, you've probably heard me use it for skincare.
0: What are you watering your face?
1: Yeah, yeah, that you can't water your face. Like you can't water your garden in May and expect it to go- look good in July. Or you can't water your garden once and expect to have a nice garden. This is maybe going in a different direction from you, but whatever, this is how I always talk about gardening. Uh, the fact you have to you have to water it every single week and you have to attend to you know, the soil composition and fertilizer, and some things respond better than others. And sometimes you have to move stuff around and shift because this doesn't belong here and doesn't belong there and change it as it evolves and matures. And all of those things are relevant to skincare. Uh, Yeah. I was going to say skincare and makeup, but yes, because it's, it's, if you really want to see results, it has to be an ongoing enterprise,
0: right? And it has to be an adaptable enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, you can't take one approach and say, okay, this is the way I'm going to take care of my skin from the time I take over skincare until I die. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they're yeah. just different. There are different biomes in, in that process. Right.
1: Yeah. Like a single person from the time they're 20 to the time they're 70 is going to use an entirely different set of products and an entirely different approach. That's the first right. thing but also the same 20 year old, or I mean, uh, several different 20 year olds or several different 70 year olds are also going to use different approaches because their skin is going to be different.
0: So here's the thing I'm interested in. And i you know, in any platform that becomes available to you, I would love to hear listeners answer this question for me, like feel free to tweet at me sometime when I ask you, what is the, Biome. What is the biosphere? What do you imagine the climate is of academia? If you said, okay, right now I'm just looking at this and I'm thinking in terms of biology and and zones and 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 whatever I think of, like biomes is all I can think of. I hope I'm right, biologists. I'm sorry if I'm not. Um, what what do you think of? What's the first word that comes to your mind about academia? Right and. We folks on the on the call here, I would love to hear in the chat. What do you think of when you think of it? Like, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make my experience of the academy a place. What is it? What do you first think of, Karen? do you do you go with cynical first?
1: <laughs> well, you know, drawing from my years of therapy, where they say say what you initially thought and don't censor it. I thought of the Sahara Desert. Right. Right. That's what came into my mind. Right now, if I really thought about it, I'm not sure that's logically what I would say. But I think it's interesting that that's what came into my mind. Right. And but yeah, and you know, you guys know I didn't hate academia when I was in it. So,
0: well, I'm not sure you hate it now, do you?
1: No, no, no. Mm
0: -mm. Oh, I mean, I'm just
1: way more cynical.
0: Definitely. I don't think we would do what we do Mm -hmm. if we were actually hated. It. I sometimes I think that people forget. It's our pretty significant affection for its potential than, than disdain for it. It's actually sort of this, mm-hmm. but I love you. Could you just like mm-hmm. do some work so mm-hmm. I can stay connected to you kind of thing? So, yeah, no, so, absolutely. so.
1: that's absolutely true.
0: Okay. It's so a, let's, let's see. One
1: of our listeners said I thought desert as well.
0: So th- let's look, let's start right there with the idea of gardening in a desert. If you think about, I'm going to garden in a desert, Mm -hmm. so I'm surrounded by sand and dunes and everything else. I mean, you could do two things. One, you could say, wow, if I'm going to garden in a desert, I'm going to have to airlift in a bunch of resources to make that possible, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or you have to find an oasis. Mm -hmm. But the point is, you can't just sit in the desert and stick plants in the ground and say, grow, mm-hmm. right you're you're battling you're battling the biosphere that you're in in an attempting to do something that's not possible mm-hmm. Especially so I if think you're
1: sticking plants in that came from your you know childhood in New England
0: exactly, right? So if you think about like how many people we know who are throughout their careers or we've talked to or we've interacted with over the last decade, who are, so frustrated and so tired and so struggling how much it is about this. This is the landscape I have. And so, and this is what I have to do. So here's my landscape, and this is what I'm going to have to do. So I have to do them. And I have to ignore the fact that it won't work in that environment. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: This is where we're making the leap to academia to how does the
0: metaphor work. Right. So to my mind, If I ask you, what does academia feel like to you? And your first thought is desert, right? Your first thought is going to be sort of desiccated, no hope for anything, right? There are lots of things that grow in the desert. First of all, Mm -hmm. all you have to do is walk through the Southwest and just see the phenomenal plant life Mm -hmm. of the desert. And then, then this idea that, One of the comments here that I think is so, so interesting is like I'd walk around looking for plants that already grew there, and then move them to my garden. Right, which I guess fits with looking for people and their skills that are already working in academia and then applying them myself. Mm -hmm. So first of all gardening, you learn how to garden by learning from other people, Mm -hmm. or making a lot of mistakes and it's okay to make a lot of mistakes if you say hey I'm just learning. So instead people come into their little patch of land and think I'm supposed to be a master gardener. I've never even seen a seed before, or I have one seed I got in graduate school and now I need to be a master gardener, right? And when, when the, when if we, when if we had, had a culture of gardening in the academy, it would be, hey, this is the landscape. And this is, these are the things that grow here. And these are the things that it's just going to die. So just don't, don't do it. They don't grow
1: here. Yeah. They don't grow here. don't grow here.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. So we, I'm sorry, you live in, in zone six and that's a zone nine. You, you can't. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so there's that there's like, we would have that culture of sharing. Cause if you know, gardeners, they love to tell you how they managed to grow something or where they grew it. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we, we are, and one of our neighbors is a, is a landscape, um, person. And man, she loves to tell you what can grow, where can grow. This will be great here. This will be great here, but we don't have a culture of gardening in the academy. So kind of encouraging people to start doing that.
1: Yeah. You know, the thing about it is too, that the, that gardening is just a multiplicity of skills. And in addition in terms of going back to that zone six versus zone nine, you don't judge zone six for not being zone nine. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might feel a little frustrated and wish, you know, oh, I really like this kind of plant. I wish I could grow it, but you don't judge it. Like you're a complete failure as
0: a zone. <laughs> <laughs> wow, zone wow, zone six, you're a, a failure. Zone.
1: <laughs> you know, it's just reality. And I think that's another thing that's interesting to say about academia is that there are things that grow, things that don't. And we, and it really does allow us to take the judgment out of it. It's like, Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Academia, because it supports X, Y, and Z is not superior to other kinds of work. And academia, because it tends to do this, that, and the other thing is not inferior to other kinds of work.
0: Right, right. And I feel like so much of what goes on is this either attempting to grow something in an environment that does not support it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Or expecting an environment to continue to produce the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. What do we know about growing the same thing in the same ground over and over and over again? You Mm -hmm. deplete it. Mm -hmm. You don't, I mean, we, we see that with crop rotation on the bigger sort of agricultural level, but you see it in your small home garden. If I'm gonna grow all these things all summer long, I need to put something in to replenish it, right? I need to get some nitrogen back in the soil. I need to understand this plant draws a ton of nitrogen. So I've got to replace that with compost or cover crops or whatever. I don't say, "Wow, I spent this whole growing season drawing down the nitrogen to the point that the soil isn't viable anymore. Come back the next year, plant the same things and go, why aren't my tomatoes as good as they were last year? Mm -hmm. Because we keep, pushing for the same result. So the, re, one of the key things I think is this difference between the adaptability of gardening and the rigidity of like road crops that fail over time.
1: Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say the rigidity of academia, but... Yeah, well, um, the rigidity of academia too. One of our commenters says with plants, you can find ways to support the wrong zone plants in your zone by bringing them inside in the winter and treating them as a perennial. Perhaps the same principle can be applied. I think that, honestly, I think that it can. And it's amazing really how rich this metaphor is. Is this a metaphor or an analogy? I always get those confused. But anyway, for life in academia, because, uh, because it does mean... That we could, you know, make things happen uh, I with could, a little extra effort, which there are people, you know, always working on in different corners, trying to adjust this and mold that and uh, correct for this. But the uh, but the large scale system, you know, does tend to be pretty pretty rigid.
0: Well, and I think also let me add another part to that is you absolutely can you can take your plant inside you can you can grow those plants inside but here's the thing that that takes that we need that i think we ignore in academia it's like i yeah i want to grow this specialty orchid and i live in zone six it's not going to live outside and if you don't know you know planting zones you just think about like like I think lower numbers are colder and higher numbers are warmer. Or if I'm wrong, just pretend like that's true. Mm -hmm. But we're just talking about the six and eight because when, now here's an interesting thing, like hold on to this thought till later. When I first um, started gardening in Oregon, Oregon where I lived was a zone six. Mm -hmm. Now it's almost a zone eight. So we'll just put that out there to talk about what the changing climate of academia, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes resources. If I'm going to grow that thing in, the, in an environment that is not hospitable to it, it takes resources. Mm-hmm. And I think about that as folks who are traditionally harmed in the academy, people yeah. who are traditionally um, who are constantly being challenged, constantly put in a cold environment when they're trying to work on this thing that requires more heat. Mm-hmm. And so they're building up all of these resources to do it, and they're doing it. But the toll is phenomenal because the, the, the resources take energy, whatever that is, your energy, electricity, you know, whatever. And it means it puts a strain on the system. And we don't acknowledge that part of it. We don't say we continue to not acknowledge the resources used to make things work in inhospitable environments.
1: Absolutely. You're, what you're saying made me think about that in some ways, this is not the only way, I, I mean, this isn't how we've been talking about it so far, but, um, but in some ways, different campuses are different zones, different types of institutions right, are different right, zones. So you've got right. your liberal arts college zone and your uh, R1 and your state comprehensive and your HBCU, and they're good for different things. Right. And they're bad right. for different things. Right. And, or not good and bad. We, I said we weren't going to use those words. Um, you know, they support, they're very supportive of some things and less so for others. And, and it's just interesting too, to think about adjusting who you're, where you are and whether you can um, find a way to make it work for you or not, whether you're the plant that can, I always tease Kel, I'm from Pittsburgh and I've lived in many, many different places. I was very peripatetic i um, lived in like 17 places in 20 years during my earlier life. And I always tease Kel about uh, Oregonians. You can't take them out of Oregon because they're like delicate little, they're delicate little rainforest flowers. <laughs> they can't stand it. They're it's too cold too it's hot too hot hot. or it's too cold or right. it's too dry because yep. it's always like perfectly um, temperate in Oregon virtually all year long, you know, very, very comfortable. Right. And uh, anyway yeah so can you adjust well do you you want want to to?
0: is it worth it do you and and then the and getting back to what you said before if we take a plant that says you know what i really do survive better i'm going to have uh, like somebody i work with i'm in a hell of a lot better life working in an hbcu than a pwi as a black woman I'm going to deal with all sorts of shit, but at least I don't have to deal with racism every day, mm-hmm. right? So that's not a place I'm going to flower, but I will here, mm-hmm. right? So we don't look at like the, the orchid that won't grow outside in zone six and say, wow, what's wrong with you? I wonder how much we judge people who say, I don't want to be in that or this or that, right? I like this mm-hmm. because we're so busy worrying about trajectory rather than like building the best, you know, growing environment for ourselves mm-hmm. and allowing people to quit policing people what they decide their thing is would be lovely too.
1: Yeah.
0: Our um, commenter
1: says being drained and thinking you can do it all yourself, like trying to dig your own well <laughs> to support yourself or your work while the irrigation system keeps on flowing according to privilege. Exa- That's a fantastic Analogy, honestly, that is
0: just so perfect. It's
1: so good. The energy expended in digging the well, and you know, you don't even have the resources to do it. Who, who can do that? You know, like you can a can shovel,
0: and you can do. The thing is, here's the thing. Yeah, but how, how do you know I,
1: where the water is?
0: But, but I want to. I actually want to <laughs> go with that. Is that I think there. That the, the, the thing is, you actually can. You actually mm. have spent your life with building the tools to dig the well and just going fuck you and your irrigation system because it's not for me anyway i'm going to dig my well but the exhaustion of doing that so i don't i think that's the the tricky part is that lots of people are perfectly capable of going out on their own right i'm perfectly capable of doing this do i want to Mm -hmm. you know let's go back to like i have a I have perhaps a propensity to overdo it when it comes to the garden. I keep thinking of what more could I add? What more could I grow? I wish I could
1: share with you a picture of the garden from last summer and you would understand what was being referred to here.
0: (laughs) Yes. I may or may not have just ordered a large order of Heritage Beans because I thought it would be really cool to have a lot of beans and to give them to people and to grow these amazing different kinds of heritage beans that all come from traditional native sources. And I was really excited about it. And the people who do it, I think it's like slow food, also fund um, native plant restoration projects. And so it's like, oh, this is really cool. And I bought all these beans. Okay, look, it's like 40 beans per type and there are six beans. Okay, so that's 240 plants if I planted them all. Mm-hmm. It's not beyond me to do that. It's not outside of my behavior systems to say, Karen, look, I have 240 bean plants. Mm-hmm. And she'll just be like, okay. Well, you've been I'm,
1: doing that with the tulips already. Right. Tulips. Anyway, let's get to the point. What is what happens? The point is the application you can, to academia.
0: Right. The point is also that you can plant way too many things in your garden and way too more things than you can manage and way more things than you have resources for and way more things than you can harvest. And you have to either figure out how to have friends, which means like collaborators and all that other stuff, or you have to just stop planting so many things. Hmm. So I think there's also, now I found my, now I found my little patch of soil. Yes, I, it's I, it's in my environment yeah, wow. And you're and like- I have
1: a water source.
0: And I have a water source. I feel like, bahoo, let's just plant every plant we ever read about in a seed catalog. Oh, and up at, I'm at the store and they're selling this. And oh, I go to a garden store show and they're selling this. And pretty soon you have this unplanned cacophony of way too much stuff, which we could in fact show you the bowls and bowls and bowls and bowls and bowls, and bowls of tomatoes last year to explain why nine tomato plants for two people may be too many tomato plants Mm -hmm. right so i think we can use the garden also when when we start to to harvest and take care of our own stuff
1: Mm -hmm. well and also where it stops being fun right which you know to be honest doesn't necessarily have to happen but at some point there was a turning point where I, first of all, I ate so many tomatoes at the inside of my mouth, got I got mouth sores <laughs> from the acid. And second of all, I just got good. First, it was really fun to make all the salsa and everything. And then it got overwhelming. Right. So I think that it's the same idea that like in academia, you don't have to say yes to everything. Right, And you have to have good boundaries. And that's normally right. much of what we talk about here on the podcast are the boundaries and saying no and no, I don't have to plant that plant. But I just love what one of our commenters said. Gardeners also have to possess empathy and caring awareness to notice when their plants aren't thriving or sick and then figure out what they need. Talk about a, talk about a principle that is not practiced, right. simply not practiced in academia and could be and should be. And I I think that uh, the really good teachers do that for their students, certainly. Some teachers of undergrads do that beautifully for their students, and some mentors of grad students do it to a degree. It's not a story I hear a lot, but I think it happens. I don't know how many senior faculty are are, uh, tending to junior faculty and so on.
0: But I was thinking more about less about nurturing the people around us than nurturing ourselves right like that actually noticing we're not doing well. I think it's so I think we're it's a system that so expects you to be sort of a withered um, underwatered, <laughs> kind of like barely growing plant and then keeps yelling at you to grow. It's like I'm just gonna put you in this hostile soil. I'm going to give you minimal resources. I'm going to change the temperature repeatedly. One day it's going to rain horribly. The next day it's going to be 105 and I'm going to yell at you to grow. <laughs> and then I'm going to tell you, there's nothing wrong. What, what are you talking about?
1: And then I'm going to judge you at year six. As <laughs> to- <laughs> think-
0: well, I'm thinking more about like the, the gaslighting of like, what's the problem?
1: Yeah. Why, why
0: can you not? And well, so I think thriving? as I'm, as I'm, you know, as we're talking about the the whole idea of the adaptability built into gardening, we also have to think about exactly what, what we're talking about is that you have to have adaptability and empathy. You can't just keep trying a new thing over and over and over again, and you get no results. There has to be, I tried this thing. What didn't work? Why was this not the right place to plant it? Where, what am I missing? What do I need more nitrogen? Do I need more water? Do I need a little canopy over this?
1: If our if the folks who are here today, I'd I'd be really curious to know what you would consider. Uh, what would be fertilizer for you? What would be a water source for you?
0: And you can't say bullshit because there's a lot of that in the academy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I just think it's interesting. What would what would be. What would help you thrive?
0: One of the things while we're waiting for that answer one of the things that I think about quite a bit is how so many people's system of creativity is not the model that the university follows right the idea of being by yourself producing a piece of work putting it out there is really a very very sort of white western model of individualism Mm -hmm. sort of peak americanism and how looking that even the concept of what would look like, um, fertilizer, what would look, what would water look like? What would those things look like? It's so hard to contemplate that because of the training that you're not supposed to need those things. Mm -hmm. So I, I think maybe another way at that question is where are the spaces where do you find ease or enjoyment in your work what do you what is the thing that you're doing with your work that you suddenly feel like oh this is fun because mm-hmm. i think that sometimes like talking to people about what you're doing is really fun and mm-hmm. and and sort of like water on a parched plant
1: mm-hmm. which is why i think people go to conferences
0: oh yeah they
1: just get reinvigorated by conferences i mean back when we went to them in per- in person because you remembered why you liked doing what you do and how other people are just as excited as you are, especially when you are maybe alone in what you do in your department, but then you go to a conference where everybody with other like-minded scholars. But while you were talking, I was thinking about how um, this is another way to look at uh, the operation of privilege too, because in some ways the folks who are the most privileged um, come pre-supplied with their water and their fertilizer.
0: Right, right, yeah. You know? Yeah,
1: they have financial foundation. They have knowledge foundation. They have. We could talk about the gender roles and so how many men have wives at home who are taking care of children and cooking, and or at least they still do. But even but in the older model on which that we're still running on the fumes of, that was the model that that this that our entire tenure system is based on. Right. And so you've got this, you know, support system that is nurturing you and you're blossoming and then what about everybody else
0: right and when you're arriving not even knowing where the potting shed is to get the fertilizer that you need here's a really interesting comment that is valuable to consider as this gardening idea right so i keep thinking about what i've learned about indigenous ecology and cultivation practices and what strikes me is the intergenerational care involved in the way it, that working with a garden is integrated into everything about community life and politics, not separated. So I'm thinking about how what I could use is more intergenerational support. I need you to help fulfill and to not feel like the academy is so drastically disconnected from my community and daily reality. Mm-hmm. And so there are a couple of ideas to unpack in the idea of intergenerational support and the indigenous ecology. And one of them is that idea that we're, that, that we're going to work together and learn from up and down, like people, we're going to learn in both directions and all directions. So there's that we're working together to accomplish this thing and that one isn't separated from the other. And I've been, this is just an aside. I've been particularly fixated on the phrase work-life balance rate lately because it basically is capitalism telling on itself like you can have a life and then you can work mm-hmm. and instead of like you know that is a whole chunk of my life right mm-hmm. so so that idea of how we don't have to separate this generationally I'm using my hands on a podcast we don't have to separate generationally up and down and we don't have to separate the work that we're doing from our life and how can we integrate that and Mm -hmm. where are there more opportunities to say this is a thing i love that doesn't exist in these walls this is a thing i love in these walls where can they start to you know uh fertilize each other Mm -hmm. i think that's an interesting idea Mm -hmm.
1: absolutely it's very i mean it's it's there's so much to think about there's so much to think about intergenerational care and community and, and how, and what that would look like. What would that, what just, what would that look like in academia? And I think there are pockets of it. Absolutely. And where there are pockets of it, people thrive. I remember back when I was a grad student and I went to a conference or something, I I don't remember the context, but I was just either in or just out of grad school and someone came and said that they had had this grad program that was just incredibly, the cohort was incredibly tight and they called it magic in a bottle. And, you know, they just all thrived and fed off of each other, all the, the grad students in that cohort and learned and learned and learned. And it was really, couldn't have been a better grad school experience. And I con- contrasted that to my grad school experience, which was so alienating and isolating. And, you know, there were good aspects of it, but it, I didn't have a community like that. And, um, and I, you know, I, I mean, the fact that I remember it 35 years later is interesting because mm-hmm. I just haven't heard that story very often,
0: which, you know, it's kind of the way I feel about like businesses, right? If you have people who are modeling and expecting that, um, you know, I that the dentist yesterday and the, and the, the hygienist was talking about how she's just never worked in a better place than, than this particular dentist office. And the, the dentist is this. Guy who has from the very beginning intentionally set up learning as a standard. He's had a consultant early on, how to be a successful business and business manager, Hmm. did all these things. And all of the people who work there are really pleasant and they're not creepy pleasant. They're like, we seem to be happy here. And I think how that starts from the top down, right? So, what's happening in your discipline? And that's 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 not allowing for that generational exchange i'm looking at you political science like what or like what is it that is creating those really hostile zones that don't allow for the up and down learning that says no you can't teach me because you haven't gotten to my level yet and you have to listen to everything i say instead of this shared understanding and and i and you know this mention of sort of that that whole idea of indigenous ecology reminds me about last year i decided to do what's called an iroquois planting and and that is where you take you build a regular mound that you might do for a squash right except you put corn stalks in the mound and then you put squash below it and then you put beans below it and the goal is that the squash is going to grow around the mound and, and lower the amount of weeds because it's going to cover so much soil that you're just going to have so many fewer weeds and the, the, the beans are going to grow up the vine. And so the corn is going to support the green, the, the, the beans. And so you have this whole very compact planting area mm-hmm. and they're all supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And I think of how we're taught to guard when I was first taught to garden, if I was going to grow squash, how I had to make these like five feet apart big mounds to put one squash plant on that was going to run over. So you needed like what felt like a half an acre to grow five zucchini. Nobody should grow five zucchini, by the way, unless they want to not have any friends. But but even like it just takes so much space or these corn stalks have to be this far apart. And I like, how do we then take that idea of it's not, I, I can be more intertwined with my community and supporting everybody with their own skills to get this accomplishment that we have and anyway gardening continues to be a rich place for a conversation Mm -hmm. yeah anyway that's that that it is it's
1: absolutely it's absolutely fascinating and the other thing that you did last year that i think is pertinent to this analogy is that um you decided to throw uh, our um, wildflower mixes because we had mm-hmm. a bunch. We had all these packets that we'd collected over many, many years. Plus, our friend had a bunch that she needed to get rid of. And basically, indiscriminately, we just threw wildflower packets of seeds all around the tomatoes, as well as the corn, squash, and beans. And so, what we ended up with was this absolute, you know, mayhem. Of vegetables and wildflowers. And the wildflowers uh, grew so that they could, you know, the, you know how they are. They, they just grow uh, to reach the light. So we had like six, seven, eight foot cosmos and things like that, and which were amazing growing up above the tomatoes. And, it, and I think that is really relevant too, because it's also that kind of flexibility. <laughs> it's almost like work-life balance. Right,
0: right, right. I'm going to add a little like, bit of... It's gonna... like
1: the two things, because in the old school of, of gardening, you have your vegetables over here and you have your flower garden over there. Never the twain shall meet. And all these ideas about boundaries and appropriateness and uh, uh, professionalism. Right. Of, you know, what <laughs> it's not pro- professional pro- to put your zinnias you know, in your tomato. Right. Garden right. And fences, many fences and things like that. And, you know, I was pretty skeptical. I was skeptical of the whole thing. <laughs> As you know. And, um, but you know, I've lived with you long enough to know that usually your ideas are really good. And indeed, it was just, it was magical, actually. Right. It was absolutely magical. And, 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 then, and in fact, it became the neighborhood, what's the gathering word? point? Gathering yeah. point. People yeah. would come by. In fact, we had, I would look out the window and I'd see all these people posing by our garden and taking pictures and, you know, peering in, seeing what all was there, looking for the bees, because we had tons of bees. And, uh, and it really was something to see that kind of the, the tomatoes, the corn, the vegetables, and this just massive display of wildflowers altogether.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And it was, uh, we should point out, it was at the, it's in the front of the house as well. <laughs> so we dug out lawn to do it. And that was the other thing is that it was right at this. It's not hidden in the back where gardens like that usually are. It was right out by the street.
0: And I guess that's the thing I'd like to end with uh, to, to, to torture this metaphor. One last thing Um, we ended up with a six foot wide garden that ran the width of our yard because I wanted a monoculture to go away because I don't, I understand the damage that monoculture does. And I don't care whether that's fields and fields of, you know, wine grapes or, pot plants or pear trees, monoculture is not what the planet was designed for. So, and I hate lawn. So I, you know, basically said, this is just not workable, which I would look at the way that um, the academy has been set up in the expectations of how you're supposed to do it. And this, there's one culture, there's one way to do this. And the reality is that that single culture Take so many resources to maintain that one thing, and you need so much water and you need all these things to maintain this this foreshow that never gets at all the vibrancy and, and complexity and marvelousness of what's possible. And so I, I just basically took out six feet of lawn and started planting stuff. And I have absolutely understand why Karen was like, "What have you done to the front of the house <laughs> and that that a willingness to say look i'm going to rethink this and we'll see how it goes and it went really well and i'm going to say this one of the things i protect thinking about this every single day or every single time i think about this next year's garden is it's not going to be the same don't get caught up in having the same thing so adaptability is also in there what's the environment this year what i want to grow this year and if the if that's not going to work this year, what can you make wonderful with what you have? So that's my wrap up on that.
1: Mm-hmm. I have not, I cannot add to that. That is absolutely, I mean, I, I think the, the willingness to be surprised mm, right? and for things not to go according to plan. And to think outside, I mean, I hate to use such a stupid overused phrase, but to think outside the box, literally. And, um, and these are all things that are also really valuable for people leaving academia too, because you can bloom in many places.
0: And food, not lawns. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. We love to have you come back every week. we love to have you comment. So feel free to pop over to the professorsin.com and click on the podcast link and when you find this episode you've listened to it tell us what you think about this idea of what the garden can teach us about academia thanks for coming